You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. This morning, I wanted to talk to you about the renewing of of our minds and the importance that it has on our spiritual walk and on our spiritual life. And I don't know if any of you guys have a regular drink that you drink all the time. For me, it's a McDonald's medium regular. Just so you all know, it's a McDonald's medium regular. And um, when you drink a, a McDonald's medium regular almost every day, if someone screws up your coffee order, you notice when you take your first drink. Have any of you noticed that when you drink the same thing all the time and all of a sudden you take a swig and all of a sudden you realize, hey, that's a medium double-double. And sometimes in and of itself it's not bad, but when you take it and you're not expecting it, it kind of grosses you out a bit. You know, sometimes there'll be situations where you take a drink of something and it's just not right, but you don't know why. Something about it's just a little bit off. You know, and usually you might take it and give it a little smell, like maybe it's smelling the milk carton when you're not quite sure how old it is. I don't know. But <laughs> it's, you know, that um, sometimes in life, things just aren't quite right, and we don't know why. Sometimes in our spiritual walk, there's some things that sometimes just aren't quite right. And perhaps sometimes we don't know why. Perhaps it seems like we're going through the motions and doing everything that we should be doing. But yet there seems to be some sort of hindrance between us encountering the presence of God and experiencing the reality of the truth of freedom like we sung about this morning. Maybe there's some in this room this morning that were singing those songs, singing about freedom, but in this moment in your life are not feeling very free. Maybe you're feeling in bondage to something right now in your life, something that has more control over you than you have control over it. I dare say that there's probably something in all of our lives that would fit that category. When you read the scriptures, it's pretty easy to see upon initial conclusion that the life of a Christian and non-Christian should be different. There should be a distinct difference and they shouldn't have the same outlook on life. Somebody who is lost does not have the same outlook as somebody who knows where they're going. Somebody who's lost does not have the same demeanor as somebody who is following their GPS with confidence until it brings you up to an empty field and you're like, what is going on? I don't know if you ever had one of those GPSs. I had a TomTom and it did that all the time. I don't know why, but Google Maps is much better. I recommend it. But too often in the midst of of life and us doing things in the church, sometimes if we look at things, we begin to realize that our lives sometimes are not so indistinguishable from those in the world. And how do I know? Well, because a lot of our outcomes in life are seemingly the same as the world. We deal with greed, money problems, we're consumed by debt, 
lust, anger, selfishness, bitterness, hate, divisiveness. Divorce rates are through the roof in the church just as much as they are out in the world. Jesus said in 10, John 10.10 10, that the thief comes only to kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came that we would have a full and meaningful life in him. You know, there's this saying that I've heard a couple times in the last month that I wanted to, to share it with you this morning. And that's if, if you were convicted of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence in your life to convict you? If you had a private eye, a detective following you around for a day, maybe three days, maybe five days, maybe a week, would that PI, that private investigator, come to the conclusion, that man, that woman, is a man of God? Or do you just blend in with the crowd? Often there's a discrepancy between what God is calling the church to be and where we are currently at. Practically, the decisions we make, our focus, our intent, the condition of our heart. And one, one reason for this, I believe, is that we've failed to regularly obtain a renewed mind. Romans 12.1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. You and I were created to worship God. We were created to know God, to walk with God, to walk through life with God, to find our meaning and purpose in and through him. God calls us to be a living and holy sacrifice. It says here in Romans 12 that this is how we worship him. This morning I'd like to parallel this with Romans 12.1 out of the message that says this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. I don't know if there's any in here that are tea drinkers. I'm really on the drinks and the beverages this morning, as you'll see. I used to be a tea drinker because I used to despise coffee. The first time I had ever had a cup of coffee, I was a little boy, and my dad drinks it black. And not just black coffee, but instant black coffee. And I thought, you know, it occurs to me now, why, why do we drink instant coffee if you're not in World War II in a bomb shelter somewhere? Like, really? But anyhow, the first drink I ever had was so earthy. The image that I had in my mind was me as a little boy with my little cup of water dumping sand and dirt into my cup, stirring it around, taking a big gulp. It was earthy, and it was not my taste, not to my liking. And so as I grew up and as I got into my teenage years, when people would offer coffee or friends would go for coffee, I would always order a tea. Once in a while, if I was feeling brave, I might just have lemon water or something. But um, tea was my, my, th my drink of choice. 
And often what would happen when you get tea, especially over here in North America, is you get a little tea bag. And uh, they're very nice. This one's called Stash. This particular one's sunny orange ginger, caffeine-free. And uh, basically, you all know what a tea bag is. Tea is not the bag. Tea is what's in the bag. And um, so the idea is you would take some hot water, preferably, sometimes cold. You know, God also likes it hot or cold. And um, you dip the bag into a cup. And you let it steep. The water in the cup now is no longer water. It is tea. It's a miracle. The nature of the water has just changed before your eyes. If I had water here to show you, I'm horrible at illustrations. What's interesting about the tea bag is often when you go and make yourself a tea with a tea bag, it's often a single use item. Usually you're going to make yourself a single tea. You're probably not going to, some people reuse their tea bags over and over and over, but um, I don't. Um, and often when you're using a tea bag, you're only drinking something yourself. You're preparing a beverage for you. It's not typically something you're going to share with your friend. Um, a few years back in 2008, I had the opportunity to go on a cultural exchange to South America. And I was in a country called Uruguay. And what was interesting is when I got there, one day somebody asked if I'd like some tea. And I was looking around for one of these. And I couldn't find one. They drink what's called loose leaf tea. And um, not only do they drink you loose leaf tea, they don't drink it in a cup, they drink it in one of these. I don't know if any of you have ever seen one of these before. It's called a mate. And basically, some sort of plant root that they cut in half that's round, and they wrap it in leather, and put this nice little silver stainless steel thing on it, and the little wooden things underneath are cardboard, to, so it sits up on a table. And uh, this is called, a, in Uruguay, they say yerba mate, or yerba if you're from somewhere else. And I don't know if all countries in Latin America drink mate, but I know they do in Uruguay, in parts of Argentina and southern Brazil for sure, because I've been there. And people walk around with these everywhere they go. And the difference is they don't use a tea bag. What they do is they take the whole, the whole, and they fill it with loose leaf tea. And then they stick their straw in the bottom, their bombisha, or bombilla, and they pour in hot water. And you'll notice something that's interesting is that Everywhere you go, people are walking around with these, and they have a thermos under their arm. And the thermos is intended to replenish the liquid in here once they've drank it. And um, so they have it filled up, they fill it up, they pour the water into the tea, and they drink it through the straw. What's interesting about the experience there is that this is pretty much like a communal cup. When you're in a group setting, Somebody would prepare, prepare their mate, fill it up with their, with their leaves, pour the water in. The person who prepares the mate always takes the first sip because it's the most strong. And then they would fill it back up and pass it to their friend. And I'd pass it to my friend, and Rhea would then go drink the remaining contents of the mate. She'd pass it back to me. I'd take my thermos, 
fill it back up and pass it to my next friend that was sitting in my room. And for, at first, this was really weird. I was like, this would be like going to McDonald's and us just ordering one drink, like six friends, and us just like taking a sip and passing it around. And then when we run out, somebody getting up and going, getting a refill and coming back to the table and us sharing one drink. And it was unusual for me. And at first I was like, is that even sanitary? To be putting my lips on that. But I got over myself pretty quickly. Um, but what's interesting about the mate is that there's a clear distinct difference between the experience of drinking tea this way versus drinking tea this way. Sometimes the way that we package up our spiritual life is more like this. We take our spiritual life and we wrap it up in a tea bag and we have certain forms of application, times when we use it. And usually we come and we consume and when we're done consuming, we get up and we leave. Sometimes that's called going to church. I'm pretty sure everyone here has probably done that. And... Um, the problem with this is once you've drunk it, it's gone. With this, it lasts all day, or at least half the day, or it depends how many people are taking sips out of your cup. But it can last a long time. And the difference here is that this form of spiritual life is often kind of self-serving. You're preparing a spiritual life centered around you and your experience. This experience, the Sherbamate experience, is one in which you get filled up, continually filled with living water, and poured out to be shared with, those, shared with those around you. And you continue to be filled and poured out. You share what you have with others. And um, how does this connect to our minds. Well, there's a way in which we practice our spiritual life and we have a choice every single day about how we live. And I want to read one scripture here to you. It's Ephesians 5, 15 to 20. It says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. A lot of these things have to do with the mind. If someone's acting foolishly, if your kid comes home and they've done something absolutely foolish, what's something you might say? What were you thinking? And usually the answer is, like, oh, I wasn't thinking. So here it's saying, be careful how you live, church. Not as fools, but like those who are wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Not acting thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. You see, being interesting here is that being drunk with wine, it says here that will ruin your life. I want to say to you this morning that living as the world lives will ruin your life. Living as the world lives, thinking like the world thinks, will corrupt that which God has given you, and ruin your spiritual life. Because you are now no longer designed and created and formed to live as the world lives, to think as the world thinks. But you are now set apart for a holy purpose 
to worship and praise God and glorify God in everything that you do, think, and act upon in this world. Instead of being foolish and living like the world, being drunk with wine and ruining your life, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among ourselves, making music to the Lord in our hearts, giving thanks for everything that God, God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Giving our bodies to God as a living and holy sacrifice. Romans 12.2 goes into a little bit more about how to do that. It says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Our thought lives are important. Our thought lives chain affect how we feel. Our thoughts affect how we interact with the world around us. Our thoughts often dictate what we end up doing, the actions that we end up taking in life. It says, then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. How good it is for us to fill our life with that which is good, pleasing, and perfect to God. Sometimes what we think in our earthly state, in our flesh, is good, is perfect, are not the same things that God calls good and perfect. We've got to know the difference but what is good, what is pleasing, what is perfect in the kingdom of God. And what is our flesh that is trying to draw us back into the things of sin and where we came from. Once again, I want to reference the message here in relation to Romans 12, 2 where it says this, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. First point I want to make this morning is that worshiping God is not just limited to what we do, but also extends to what we think. Did you know that we are to worship God with our mind? The Bible says to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. We are to love God, God with our whole mind. You know, before coming to Jesus, I had a mind that was completely hostile to God, to the church, and to the things of faith. And the problem that I ultimately faced was that even though when I started coming to church and I was hearing the message of the gospel preached, my heart wanted to respond. Everything in me wanted to respond. But what was holding me back was my mind, my mindset. It was hostile to the truth. It was hostile to the things of God. The truth was my heart was hardened. Jesus was softening it. But my mind was refusing to allow myself to submit to the truth, to the person of Jesus Christ. And I heard the gospel preached week after week after week for probably upwards of six months before I couldn't take it any longer and I just had 
to surrender. I couldn't take it anymore. You know, there are many both inside and outside the church today that have minds that are hostile to God. Did you know that? Did you know you could go to church every Sunday and still have a mind that was hostile to God? I know because I did it for six months. And I know because since I've been saved, I've been caught in psychological loops where my mind slips into being hostile to God once again. The thing we have to do as Christians is to submit to the authority of Scripture. Not pick and choose which parts of the gospel will best fit into our life as we see fit and ignore the parts that we don't like. But too many of us fail to truly submit our minds and our thought lives to God and take, thought every cap- take captive every thought and bring it into obedience to Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.18 it says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. For the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of the world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when do we preach? So when we preach the the Christ, that Christ was crucified, the Jews are often offended, and the Gentiles often say it's all nonsense. That sound familiar to you? The message goes forth, the message that Christ was crucified for our sin. And people are offended, believe it's nonsense. But those who are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. We need to love God with all of our mind. And we cannot allow our thinking and our thought life to be undisciplined and given over to the things of darkness. Ephesians 4, 17, 18 says this, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Are there any in the room this morning that feel alienated from God? Maybe soft heart has grown a little hard. Perhaps it's that you need to renew your mind. Perhaps it's that we've allowed our minds to think and do and behave like the world and not come into subjection to God. 
It says that their minds are darkened. They've darkened understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. Going on in verse 19, it says, They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to the practice of every kind of impurity. And that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And so here we're given a solution. In verse 22, it says, To put off our old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, that which is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to be put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There's a story in the book of Luke. And it's the story of Jesus healing 10 lepers. And it goes like this. It says, while he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him. They raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. How many of us have, have said such things? God, have mercy on me. God, help me. Every day. Every day. It's the important thing here is that these men recognized that there was help in Jesus. They knew that Jesus could help them. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the, on the name of the Lord will be saved. So first and foremost, we have to remember where our help comes from. And it comes from him. It comes from God, the one in whom we live and move and breathe and who, who we exist in, that he is the ultimate prime reality of life. And it is in him, Jesus Christ, who will be saved through. So they're crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. The Bible says in verse 14, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. As they were going, they were cleansed. I thought this is really interesting. Jesus said, go and show yourselves to the priest. To go show yourself to the priest means that you are showing them that you're healed. Jesus is sending them to the priests before he heals them. Did you notice that? As they were going, the Bible says they were cleansed. Jesus spoke, they obeyed, and the miracle followed in their obedience. Deuteronomy eleven twenty six to 28 sums up obedience like this. It says, obey and you will be blessed. Disobey and you'll be cursed. Luke eleven twenty eight in the new NLT says, but even more blessed are those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Many of us are failing at life, not because we don't know what to do, it's because we fail to put it into practice. We have the understanding, but we don't have the wisdom to walk it out. 
It says here now in verse 15, Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell at his, on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. One man turns back with gratitude and falls at Jesus' feet, knowing where his help came from, knowing who had healed him. Verse 17, then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, stand up and go, for your faith has made you well. I wonder how many of us in the church today are like these lepers. At one time, were people in need who called upon God for mercy. God met us where we were at. Maybe even performed a miracle. And then continued on living our life as we were. Not falling on our face before God. In this story, one out of ten, God blessed, God healed, and one out of the ten went back to worship God. If we only knew the goodness of God in our life, the things that he's orchestrated, the things that he saved us from, we'd never want to get off the ground. The gratitude would be so overwhelming a renewed mind is a mind on gr- that is full of gratitude. It's always looking to Christ, the person of Jesus, for the answer. And is always appreciative of what God has done. Always. This here is kind of interesting. At the very end of this story, these two verses accompany it at the end. It says this, now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The King James Version says, the kingdom of God is within you. What's interesting here is, we already kind of have an idea of what he's referring to here in the sense that the Jews were constantly looking for signs. Give us a sign, give us a sign. It's interesting that Jesus did nothing but signs. Everywhere he went, he was healing. He was casting out demons. He was giving sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. And yet they still come and say, show us a sign that you are from God. Maybe some of us are looking for a sign from God. Or maybe some of us are like the Greeks, where we feel like we have to understand and comprehend everything. If we don't know all the intricacies of absolutely everything, how could we believe in that? How could I believe in a God that I can't understand? I would submit to you, how could you believe in a God you could understand? 
We see these two camps every single day. Many of us are those two camps. Some of us maybe are both. When I really know, I can understand God, then I'll ask him for a sign. Well, that's just a double woozy, double woozy, isn't it? See, what's interesting here is Jesus saying it's not coming in a sign, it's already here. Some of you are sitting in this room right now feeling defeated. Some of you are sitting in this room right now not living the abundant life that you feel like you should, that God promised. And the issue is not that God hasn't acted because God is here. The Bible says right now the kingdom of God is here. It's in our midst. It's within you. If you have received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the kingdom of God is here within you. So what's holding us back? from fully embracing and experiencing the fullness of what God has for you? Could it be your mind? Could it be your mind? There's this concept that I was thinking about that I didn't actually talk about but I'm going to use it anyhow. This idea of living a God-infused life. One of which, simply like the tea, when the tea bag goes into the water, it transforms the nature of the water. It's fully diffused and infused within the water. And what's interesting, what I love about that scripture, I'm going back, back here a bit, the scripture is talking about not being drunk with wine, but being filled with the Spirit. Is that the language that's used in that verse, it speaks more to like a habitual filling. Not just like a one-time filling, but a habitual filling of daily coming to God and Him filling us. It's like every single day replenishing your mate. But the problem is many of us, our mate is full. And our mate is lasting us a really long time because it's hardly ever being drunk. God's filled us. The kingdom of God is here. It's within us. But yet we're hindered. We're not seeing it in our life. And why? Why aren't we seeing it? There could be many answers to the question, by the way. But today I believe that there's some people that have some mind, mindsets that are holding you back, that don't align with the Word of God, that are based on false presuppositions about the world, about who God is and who you are. And God wants to break some of those off today. This morning, I want to take some time and invite you to come up to the altar this morning. If you are somebody who's like, you know what? I'm feeling hindered this morning that there's more that I'm not experiencing. And maybe this morning you've realized that your mind is not fully submitted to God. That in some ways we still, we've allowed it to be shrouded in darkness and wrong thinking. 
this morning, I'm going to invite you to come up to the front. I'm going to pray that God would come, that we'd focus everything we have, our minds on God. That we'd allow God to transform us. That we'd fill our minds with that which is good. That's worthy to be, be spoken of and read. That we would leave this place and we'd begin to fill our minds with the word of God. Fill our minds with things that encourage us and lift us up. Things that are truth. That we would begin to live a Sherebamate life. One in which God is infused into every aspect of our being. And our thinking. And our decision making. So this morning... Um, I'm just going to encourage you to come up. I guess we'll have some music turn on. I'm just going to pray. But I encourage you to come up this morning. If you're looking for some breakthrough when it comes to the battlefield of the mind, that you've lost sight of Jesus, and the majority of your thought ladies is centered around the worries and concerns of life. Maybe you're somebody who's always concerned about money or finances or anxious about your children and their safety. There's so many things that can pull our minds from Jesus. And sometimes they're good things. But they're distractions from what's most important. The kingdom of God is here. Some of us are waiting for a sign. Jesus is saying, just come to me. Surrender your life to me. Be a living and holy sacrifice. And allow me to work in and through your life. To bring the kingdom of God here. Now, today. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, God, that you are the answer. God, I thank you, Lord, that you've not left us helpless, but God, you have given us your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you, God, that we have the kingdom of God in our midst. And Lord, God, I thank you, Lord, that you have given us the tools to be able to unleash the kingdom of God here this morning by your, the power of your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come. Lord, we relinquish control to you and say, Holy Spirit, come. Spirit of truth, come. Uncloud the cloudiness of our minds. Lord, lift the darkness out of our minds so that we can see nothing but light. Lord, help us to see you this morning, God, and show us the fallacy of our ways, God, the areas that we have stepped out of your will, the, the ways of thinking, God, that do not align with yours. So, God, that we can be purified, our minds can be purified and filled with you, your thoughts, your intentions, your desires. Lord, this morning as we lay aside our own selfish desires and choose to follow you, God, I ask that you'd give us your desires. God, you'd show us something this morning. Give us a vision of where you want us to go, each individually in our life. We 
Renew our, night, our minds this morning. Make them new. Remove every hindrance. It's preventing us from seeing and hearing you and encountering your presence here this morning. Your mind needs to be removed this morning. Come up. Our prayer team will pray with you. When we can get this right, we can take captive our thought life. Nothing is impossible. When we surrender our whole life to God, We're in a spiritual battle, one of which there, there is a presence of darkness that's trying to distract us and cloud our minds from the things of God and prevent us from seeing things as they really are. And the truth is, the way things really are is that we are more than conquerors then why do so many Christian people feel defeated? Because there's a filter of delusion in our mind that's preventing us to see the reality of the kingdom of God here and now. Freedom is in this place because the Holy Spirit is in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You have been listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.